Chapter Five of the Life and Adventures of Martin Chuzzlewit. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, containing a full account of the installation of Mr. Pecksniff's new pupil into the bosom of Mr. Pecksniff's family, with all the festivities held on that occasion and the great enjoyment of Mr. Pinch. The best of architects and land surveyors kept a horse in whom the enemies already mentioned more than once in these pages pretended to detect a fanciful resemblance to his master not in his outward person for he was a raw-boned haggard horse always on a much shorter allowance of corn than mr pecksniff but in his moral character wherein said they he was full of promise but of no performance he was always in a manner going to go and never going when at his slowest rate of travelling he would sometimes lift up his legs so high and display such a mighty action that it was difficult to believe he was doing less than fourteen miles an hour and he was for ever so perfectly satisfied with his own speed and so little disconcerted by opportunities of comparing himself with the fastest trotters that the illusion was the more difficult of resistance he was a kind of animal who infused into the breasts of strangers a lively sense of hope and possessed all those who knew him better with the grim despair in what respect having these points of character he might be fairly likened to his master that good man's slanderers can only explain but it is a melancholy truth and a deplorable instance of the uncharitableness of the world that they made the comparison in this horse and the hooded vehicle wherever its proper name might be to which he was usually harnessed it was more like a gig with a tumour than anything else all mr pinch's thoughts and wishes centred one bright frosty morning for with this gallant equipage he was about to drive to salisbury alone there to meet with the new pupil and thence to bring him home in triumph blessings on thy simple heart tom pinch how proudly dost thou button up that scanty coat called by a sad misnomer for these many years a great one and how thoroughly as with thy cheerful voice though pleasantly adjurest sam the hostler not to let him go yet dost thou believe that quadruped desires to go and would go if he might who could repress a smile of love for thee tom pinch and not in jest at thy expense for thou art poor enough already heaven knows to think that such a holiday as lies before thee should awaken that quick flow and hurry of the spirits in which thou settest down again almost untasted on the kitchen window-sill that great white mug put by by thy own hands last night that breakfast might not hold thee late and layest yonder crust upon the seat beside thee to be eaten on the road when thou art calmer in thy high rejoicing who as thou drivest off a happy man and noddest with a grateful lovingness to pecksniff in his nightcap at his chamber window would not cry heaven speed thee tom and send that thou were going off for ever to some quiet home where thou mightst live in peace and sorrow should not touch thee what better time for driving riding walking moving through the air by any means than a fresh frosty morning when hope runs cheerily through the veins with the brisk blood and tingles in the frame from head to foot this was the glad commencement of a bracing day in early winter such as may put the languid summer season speaking of it when it can't be had to the blush and shame the spring for being sometimes cold by halves the sheep bells rang as clearly as the vigorous air as if they felt its wholesome influence like living creatures the trees in lieu of leaves or blossoms shed upon the ground a frosty rime that sparkled as it fell 
and might have been the dust of diamonds so it was to tom from cottage chimneys smoke went streaming high high as if the earth had lost its grossness being so fair and must not be oppressed by heavy vapour the crust of ice on the else rippling brook was so transparent and so thin in texture that the lively water might of its own free will have stopped in tom's glad mind it had to look upon the lovely morning and lest the sun should break this charm too eagerly there moved between him and the ground a mist like that which waits upon the moon on summer nights the very same to tom and wooed him to dissolve it gently tom pinch went on not fast but with a sense of rapid motion which did just as well and as he went all kinds of things occurred to keep him happy thus when he came within sight of the turnpike and was oh a long way off he saw the tollman's wife who had at that moment checked a wagon run back into the little house again like mad to say she knew that mr pinch was coming up and she was right for when he drew within hail of the gate forth rushed the tollman's children shrieking in tiny chorus mr pinch to tom's intense delight the very tollman though an ugly chap in general and one whom folks would rather shy of handling came out himself to take the toll and give him a rough good morning and that with all this and a glimpse of the family breakfast on a little round table before the fire the crust tom pinch had brought away with him acquired as rich a flavour as though it had been cut from a fairy loaf but there was more than this it was not only the married people and the children who gave tom pinch a welcome as he passed no no sparkling eyes and snowy breasts came hurriedly to many an upper casement as he clattered by and gave him back his greeting not stinted either but sevenfold good measure they were all merry they all laughed and some of the wickedest among them even kissed their hands as tom looked back for whom minded poor mr pinch there was no harm in him and now the morning grew so fair and all things were so wide awake and gay that the sun seeming to say tom had no doubt he said i can't stand it any longer i must have a look streamed out in radiant majesty the mist too shy and gentle for such lusty company fled off quite scared before it and as it swept away the hills and mounds and distant pasture lands teeming with placid sheep and noisy crows came out as bright as though they were unrolled brand new for the occasion in compliment to which discovery the brook stood still no longer but ran briskly off to bear the tidings to the water-mill three miles away mr pinch was jogging along full of pleasant thoughts and cheerful influences when he saw upon the path before him going in the same direction with himself a traveller on foot who walked with a light quick step and sang as he went for certain in a very loud voice but not unmusically he was a young fellow of some five or six and twenty perhaps and was dressed in such a free and fly-away fashion that the long ends of his loose red neckcloth were streaming out behind him quite as often as before and the bunch of bright winter berries in the buttonhole of his velveteen coat was as visible to mr pinch's rearward observation as if he had worn that garment wrong side foremost he continued to sing with so much energy that he did not hear the sound of wheels until it was close behind him when he turned a whimsical face and a very merry pair of blue eyes on mr pinch and checked himself directly why mark said tom pinch stopping who'd have thought of seeing you here well this is surprising mark touched his hat and said with a very decrease of vivacity that he was going to salisbury and how spruce you are too said mr pinch surveying him with great pleasure really i didn't think you were half such a tight-made fellow mark 
thank you mr pinch pretty well for that i believe it's not my fault you know with regard to being spruce sir that's where it is you see and here he looked particularly gloomy where what is mr pinch demanded where the aggravation of it is any man may be in good spirits and good temper when he's well dressed there ain't much credit in that if i was very ragged and very jolly then i should begin to feel i'd gained a point mr pinch so you were singing just now to bear up as it were against being well dressed eh mark said pinch your conversation's always equal to print sir rejoined mark with a broad grin that was it well cried pinch you are the strangest young man mark i ever knew in my life i always thought so but now i'm quite certain of it i'm going to salisbury too will you get in i should be very glad of your company the young fellow made his acknowledgment and accepted the offer stepping into the carriage directly and seating himself on the very edge of the seat with his body half out of it to express his being there on sufferance and by the politeness of mr pinch as they went along the conversation proceeded after this manner i more than half believe just now seeing you so very smart said pinch that you must be going to be married mark well sir i thought of that too he replied there might be some credit in being jolly with a wife especially if the children had measles and that and i was very fractious indeed but i'm almost afraid to try it i don't see my way clear you're not very fond of anybody perhaps said pinch not particular sir i think but the way would be you know mark according to our views of things said mr pinch to marry somebody you didn't like and who was very disagreeable so it would sir but that might be carrying out a principle a little bit too far mightn't it perhaps it might said mr pinch at which they both laughed gaily lord bless you sir said mark you don't half know me though i don't believe there ever was a man as could come out so strong under circumstances that would make other men miserable as i could if i could only get a chance but i can't get a chance it's my opinion that nobody never will know half of what's in me unless something very unexpected turns up and i don't see any prospect of that i'm a-going to leave the dragon sir going to leave the dragon cried mr pinch looking at him with great astonishment why mark you take my breath away yes sir he rejoined looking straight before him and a long way off as men do sometimes when they cogitate profoundly what's the use of my stopping at the dragon it ain't all the sort of place for me when i left london i'm a kentish man by birth though and took that situation here i quite made up my mind that it was the dullest little out-of-the-way corner in england and that there would be some credit in being jolly under such circumstances but lord there's no dullness at the dragon skittles cricket quoits ninepins comic songs choruses company round a chimney corner every winter's evening any man could be jolly at the dragon there's no credit in that but if common report be true for once mark as i think it is being able to confirm it by what i know myself said mr pinch you are the cause of half this merriment and set it going there may be something in that too sir answered mark but that's no consolation well said mr pinch after a short silence his usually subdued tone being even now more subdued than ever i can hardly think enough of what you tell me why what will become of mrs lupin mark mark looked more fixedly before him and further off still as he answered that he didn't suppose it would be much of an object to her there are plenty of smart young fellows as would be glad of the place he knew a dozen himself that's probable enough said mr pinch but i'm not at all sure that mrs lupin would be glad of them why i always supposed that mrs lupin and you would make a match of it mark so did every one as far as i know i never mark replied in some confusion said nothing as was in a direct way courting like to her nor she to me but i don't know what i mightn't do one of these odd times and what she mightn't say in answer well sir that wouldn't suit not to be landlord of the dragon mark cried mr pinch no sir certainly not returned the other 
withdrawing his gaze from the horizon and looking at his fellow traveller why that would be the ruin of a man like me i go and sit down comfortably for life and no man never finds me out what would be the credit of the landlord of the dragons being jolly why he couldn't help it if he tried does mrs lupin know you're going to leave her mr pinch inquired i haven't broke it to her yet sir but i must i'm looking out this morning for something new and suitable he said nodding towards the city what kind of thing now mr pinch demanded i was thinking mark replied of something in a grave-digging way goodness gracious mark cried mr pinch it's a good damp wormy sort of business sir said mark shaking his head argumentatively and there might be some credit in being jolly with one's mind in that pursuit unless grave-diggers is usually given that way which would be a drawback you don't happen to know how that is in general do you sir no said mr pinch i don't indeed i never thought upon the subject in case of that not turning out as well as one could wish you know said mark musing again there's other business undertaking now that's gloomy there might be credit to be gained there a broker's man in a poor neighbourhood wouldn't be bad perhaps a jailer sees a deal of misery a doctor's man is in the very midst of murder a bailiff's in a lively office naturally even a tax-gatherer must find his feelings rather worked upon at times there's lots of trades in which i should have an opportunity i think mr pinch was so perfectly overwhelmed by these remarks that he could do nothing but occasionally exchange a word or two on some indifferent subject and cast sidelong glances at the bright face of his odd friend who seemed quite unconscious of his observation until they reached a certain corner of the road close upon the outskirts of the city when mark said he would jump down there if he pleased bless my soul mark said mr pinch who in the progress of his observation just then made a discovery that the bosom of his companion's shirt was as much exposed as if it was midsummer and was ruffled by every breath of air why don't you wear a waistcoat what's a good of one sir asked mark good of one said mr pinch why to keep your chest warm lord love you sir cried mark you don't know me my chest don't want no warming even if it did what would a waistcoat bring it to inflammation of the lungs perhaps well there'd be some credit in being jolly with an inflammation of the lungs as mr pinch returned no other answer than such as was conveyed in his breathing very hard and opening his eyes wide and nodding his head very much mark thanked him for his ride and without troubling him to stop jumped lightly down and away he fluttered with his red neckerchief and his open coat down a cross lane turning back from time to time to nod to mr pinch and looking one of the most careless good-humoured comical fellows in life his late companion with a thoughtful face pursued his way to salisbury mr pinch had a shrewd notion that salisbury was a very desperate sort of place an exceeding wild and dissipated city and when he had put up the horse and given the hostler to understand that he would look in again in the course of an hour or two to see him take his corn he set forth on a stroll about the streets with a vague and not unpleasant idea that they teemed with all kinds of mystery and bedevilment to one of his quiet habits this little delusion was greatly assisted by the circumstance of its being market-day and the thoroughfares about the market-place being filled with carts horses donkeys baskets waggons garden stuff meat tripe pies poultry and hucksters wares of every opposite description and possible variety of character then there were young farmers and old farmers with smock-frocks brown greatcoats drab greatcoats red-worsted comforters leather leggings wonderful shaped hats hunting whips and rough sticks standing about in groups or talking noisily together on the tavern steps 
or paying and receiving huge amounts of greasy wealth with the assistance of such bulky pocket-books that when they were in their pockets it was an apoplexy to get them out and when they were out it was spasms to get them in again also there were farmers wives in beaver bonnets and red cloaks riding shaggy horses purged of all earthly passions who went soberly into all manner of places without desiring to know why and who if required would have stood stock still in a china shop with a complete dinner service at each hoof also a great many dogs who were strongly interested in the state of the market and the bargains of their masters and a great confusion of tongues both brute and human mr pinch regarded everything exposed for sale with great delight and was particularly struck by the itinerant cutlery which he considered of the very keenest kind insomuch that he purchased a pocket-knife with seven blades in it and not a cut as he afterwards found out among them when he had exhausted the market-place and watched the farmers safe into the market dinner he went back to look after the horse having seen him eat unto his heart's content he issued forth again to wander round the town and regale himself with the shop windows previously taking a long stare at the bank and wondering in what direction underground the caverns might be where they kept the money and turning to look back at one or two young men who passed him whom he knew to be articled to solicitors in the town and who had a sort of fearful interest in his eyes as jolly dogs who knew a thing or two and kept it up tremendously but the shops first of all there were the jewellers shops with all the treasures of the earth displayed therein and such large silver watches hanging up in every pane of glass that if they were anything but first-rate goers it was certainly not because the works could decently complain of want of room in good sooth they were big enough and perhaps as the saying is ugly enough to be the most correct of all mechanical performers in mr pinch's eyes however they were smaller than geneva ware and when he saw one very bloated watch announced as a repeater gifted with the uncommon power of striking every quarter of an hour inside the pocket of his happy owner he almost wished that he were rich enough to buy it but what were even gold and silver precious stones and clockwork to the bookshops whence a pleasant smell of paper freshly pressed came issuing forth awaking instant recollections of some new grammar had at school long time ago with master pinch grove house academy inscribed in faultless writing on the fly-leaf that whiff of russia leather too and all those rows on rows of volumes neatly ranged within what happiness did they suggest and in the window were the spick-and-span new works from london with the title pages and sometimes even the first page of the first chapter laid wide open tempting unwary men to begin to read the book and then in the impossibility of turning over to rush blindly in and buy it here too were the dainty frontispiece and trim vignette pointing like handposts on the outskirts of great cities to the rich stock of incident beyond and a store of books with many a grave portrait and time-honoured name whose matter he knew well and would have given minds to have had any form upon the narrow shell beside his bed at mr pecksniff's what a heart-breaking shop it was there was another not quite so bad at first but still a trying shop where children's books were sold and where poor robinson crusoe stood alone in his might with dog and hatchet goatskin cap and fowling pieces calmly surveying philip quan and the host of imitators around him and calling mr pinch to witness that he of all the crowd impressed one solitary footprint on the shore of boyish memory whereof the tread of generations should not stir the lightest grain of sand and there too were the persian tales with flying chests 
and students of enchanted books shut up for years in caverns and there too was abda the wine merchant with the terrible little old woman hobbling out of the box in his bedroom and there the mighty talisman the rare arabian nights with Kasim Baba, divided by four like the ghost of a dreadful sum hanging up all glory in the robber's cave which matchless wonders coming fast on mr pinch's mind did so rub up and chafe that wonderful lamp within him that when he turned his face towards the busy street a crowd of phantoms waited on his pleasure and he lived again with new delight the happy days before the pecksniff era he had less interest now in the chemist's shops with their great glowing bottles with smaller repositories of brightness in their very stoppers and in their agreeable compromises between medicine and perfumery in the shape of toothsome lozenges and virgin honey neither had he the least regard but he had never had much for the tailors where the newest metropolitan waistcoat patterns were hanging up which by some strange transformation always looked amazing there and never appeared at all like the same thing anywhere else but he stopped to read the playbill at the theatre and surveyed the doorway with a kind of awe which was not diminished when a sallow gentleman with a long dark hair came out and told a boy to run home to his lodgings and bring down his broadsword mr pinch stood rooted to the spot on hearing this and might have stood there until dark but that the old cathedral bell began to ring for vesper service on which he tore himself away now the organist's assistant was a friend of mr pinch's which was a good thing for he too was a very quiet gentle soul and had been like tom a kind of old-fashioned boy at school though well liked by the noisy fellow too as good luck would have it tom always said he had great good luck the assistant chanced that very afternoon to be on duty by himself with no one in the dusty organ loft but tom so while he played tom helped him with the stops and finally the service being just over tom took the organ himself it was then turning dark and the yellow light that streamed in through the ancient windows in the choir was mingled with a murky red as the grand tones resounded through the church they seemed to tom to find an echo in the depth of every ancient tomb no less than in the deep mystery of his own heart great thoughts and hopes came crowding on his mind as the rich music rolled upon the air and yet among them something more grave and solemn in their purpose but the same were all the images of that day down to its very lightest recollection of childhood the feeling that the sounds awakened in the moment of their existence seemed to include his whole life and being and as the surrounding realities of stone and wood and glass grew dimmer in the darkness these visions grew so much the brighter that tom might have forgotten the new pupil and the expectant master and have sat there pouring out his grateful heart till midnight but for a very earthy old verger insisting on locking up the cathedral forthwith so he took leave of his friend with many thanks groped his way out as well as he could into the now lamp-lighted streets and hurried off to get his dinner all the farmers being by this time jogging homewards there was nobody in the sanded parlour of the tavern where he had left the horse so he had his little table drawn out close before the fire and fell to work upon a well-cooked steak and smoking hot potatoes with a strong appreciation of their excellence and a very keen sense of enjoyment beside him too there stood a jug of most stupendous wiltshire beer and the effect of the whole was so transcendent that he was obliged every now and then to lay down his knife and fork rub his hands and think about it by the time the cheese and celery came mr pinch had taken a book out of his pocket 
and could afford to trifle with the viands now eating a little now drinking a little now reading a little now stopping to wonder what sort of young man the new pupil would turn out to be he had passed from this latter theme and was deep in his book again when the door opened and another guest came in bringing with him such a quantity of cold air that he positively seemed at first to put the fire out very hard frost to-night sir said the newcomer courteously acknowledging mr pinch's withdrawal of the little table that he might have a place don't disturb yourself i beg although he said this with a vast amount of consideration for mr pinch's comfort he dragged one of the great leather-bottomed chairs to the very centre of the hearth notwithstanding and sat down in front of the fire with a foot on each hob my feet are quite numbed ah bitter cold to be sure you have been in the air some considerable time i dare say said mr pinch all day outside on a coach too that accounts for his making the room so cool thought mr pinch poor fellow how thoroughly chilled he must be the stranger became thoughtful likewise and sat for five or ten minutes looking at the fire in silence at length he rose and divested himself of his shawl and greatcoat which far different from mr pinch's was a very warm and thick one but he was not a whit more conversational out of his greatcoat than in it for he sat down again in the same place and attitude and leaning back in his chair began to bite his nails he was young one and twenty perhaps and handsome with a keen dark eye and a quickness of look and manner which made tom sensible of a great contrast in his own bearing and caused him to feel even more shy than usual there was a clock in the room which the stranger often turned to to look at tom made frequent references to it also partly from a nervous sympathy with its taciturn companion and partly because the new pupil was to inquire for him at half after six and the hands were getting on towards that hour whenever the stranger caught him looking at this clock a kind of confusion came upon tom as if he had been found out in something and it was a perception of his uneasiness which caused the younger man to say perhaps with a smile we both appear to be rather particular about the time the fact is i have an engagement to meet a gentleman here so have i said mr pinch at half-past six said the stranger at half-past six said tom in the very same breath whereupon the other looked at him with some surprise the young gentleman i expect remarked tom timidly was to inquire at that time for a person by the name of pinch dear me cried the other jumping up and i have been keeping the fire for you all this while i had no idea you were mr pinch i am mr martin for whom you were to inquire pray excuse me how do you do oh no draw nearer pray thank you said tom thank you i am not at all cold and you are and we have a cold ride before us well if you wish it i will i am very glad said tom smiling with an embarrassed frankness peculiarly his and which was as plainly a confession of his own imperfections and an appeal to the kindness of the person he addressed as if he had drawn up one simple language and committed it to paper i am very glad indeed that you turn out to be the party i expected i was thinking but a minute ago that i could wish him to be like you i am very glad to hear it returned martin shaking hands with him again for i assure you i was thinking there could be no such luck as mr pinch's turning out like you no really said tom with great pleasure are you serious upon my word i am replied his new acquaintance you and i will get on excellently well i know which is no small relief to me to feel for to tell you the truth i am not at all the sort of fellow who could get on with everybody and that's the point on which i had the greatest doubts but they're quite relieved now do me the favour to ring the bell will you mr pinch rose and complied with great alacrity the handle hung just over martin's head as he warmed himself and listened with a smiling face to what his friend went on to say 
it was if you like punch you'll allow me to order a glass apiece as hot as it can be made that we may usher in our friendship in a becoming manner to let you into a secret mr pinch i never was so much in want of something warm and cheering in my life that i didn't like to run to the chance of being found drinking it without knowing what kind of person you were for first impressions you know often go a long way and last a long time mr pinch assented and the punch was ordered in due course it came hot and strong after drinking to each other in the steaming mixture they became quite confidential i'm a sort of relation of pecksniff's you know said the young man indeed cried mr pinch yes my grandfather is his cousin so he's kith and kin to me somehow if you can make that out i can't then martin is your christian name said mr pinch thoughtfully oh of course it is returned his friend i wish it was my surname for my own is not a very pretty one and it takes a long time to sign chuzzlewit is my name dear me cried mr pinch with an involuntary start you're not surprised at my having two names i suppose returned the other setting his glass to his lips most people have oh no said mr pinch not at all oh dear no well and remembering that mr pecksniff had privately cautioned him into saying nothing in reference to the old gentleman of the same name who had lodged at the dragon he had no better means of hiding his confusion than by raising his own glass to his mouth they looked at each other out of their respective tumblers for a few seconds and then put them down empty i told them in the stable to be ready for us ten minutes ago said mr pinch glancing at the clock again shall we go if you please returned the other would you like to drive said mr pinch his whole face beaming with a consciousness of the splendour of his offer you shall if you wish why that depends mr pinch said martin laughing upon what sort of horse you have because if he's a bad one i would rather keep my hands warm by holding them comfortably in my greatcoat pockets he appeared to think this such a good joke that mr pinch was quite sure it must be a capital one accordingly he laughed too and was fully persuaded that he enjoyed it very much then he settled his bill and mr chuzzlewit paid for the punch and having wrapped themselves up to the extent of their respective means they went out together to the front door where mr pecksniff property stopped the way i won't drive thank you mr pinch said martin getting into the sitter's place by the by there's a box of mine can we manage to take it oh certainly said tom put it in dick anywhere it was not precisely of that convenient size which would admit of its being squeezed into any odd corner but dick the hostler got it in somehow and mr chuzzlewit helped him it was all on mr pinch's side and mr chuzzlewit said he was very much afraid it would encumber him to which tom said not at all though it forced him into such an awkward position that he had much ado to see anything but his own knees but it is an ill wind that blows nobody any good and the wisdom of the saying was verified in this instance for the cold air came in from mr pinch's side of the carriage and by interposing a perfect wall of box and man between it and the new pupil he shielded that young gentleman effectually which was a great comfort it was a clear evening with a bright moon the whole landscape was silvered by its light and by the hoar-frost and everything looked exquisitely beautiful at first the great serenity and peace through which they travelled disposed them both to silence but in a very short time the punch within them and the healthful air without made them loquacious and they talked incessantly when they were halfway home and stopped to give the horse some water martin who was very generous with his money ordered another glass of punch which they drank between them and which had not the effect of making them less conversational than before 
the principal topic of discourse was naturally mr pecksniff and his family of whom and of the great obligations they had heaped upon him tom pinch with the tears standing in his eyes drew such a picture as would have inclined any one of common feeling almost to revere them and of which mr pecksniff had not the slightest foresight or preconceived idea or he certainly being very humble would not have sent tom pinch to bring the pupil home in this way they went on and on and on in the language of the story-books until at last the village lights appeared before them and the church spire cast a long reflection on the graveyard grass as if it were a dial alas the truest in the world marking whatever light shone out of heaven the flight of days and weeks and years by some new shadow on that solemn ground a pretty church said martin observing that his companion slackened the slack pace of the horse as they approached is it not cried tom with great pride there's the sweetest little organ there you have ever heard i play it for them indeed said martin it's hardly worth the trouble i should think what do you get for that now nothing answered tom well returned his friend you are a very strange fellow to which remark there succeeded a brief silence when i say nothing observed mr pinch cheerfully i am wrong and don't say what i mean because i get a great deal of pleasure from it and the means of passing some of the happiest hours i know it led to something else the other day but you will not care to hear about that i dare say oh yes i shall what it led to my seeing said tom in a lower voice one of the loveliest and most beautiful faces you could possibly picture to yourself and yet i am able to picture a beautiful one said his friend thoughtfully or should be if i had any memory she came said tom laying his hand on the other's arm for the first time very early in the morning when it was hardly light and when i saw her over my shoulder standing just within the porch i turned quite cold almost believing her to be a spirit a moment's reflection got the better of that of course and fortunately it came to my relief so soon that i didn't leave off playing why fortunately why because she stood there listening i had my spectacles on and saw her through the chinks in the curtains as plainly as i see you and she was beautiful after a while she glided off and i continued to play until she was out of hearing why did you do that don't you see responded tom because she might suppose i hadn't seen her and might return and did she certainly she did next morning and next evening too but always when there were no people about and always alone i rose earlier and sat there later that when she came she might find the church door open and the organ playing and might not be disappointed she strolled that way for some days and always stayed to listen but she is gone now and of all unlikely things in the wide world it is perhaps the most improbable that i shall ever look upon her face again you don't know anything more about her no and you never followed her when she went away why should i distress her by doing that said tom pinch it is likely that she wanted my company she came to hear the organ not to see me and would you have me scare her from a place she seemed to grow quite fond of now heaven bless her cried tom to have given her but a minute's pleasure every day i would have gone on playing the organ at those times until i was an old man quite contented if she sometimes thought of a poor fellow like me as a part of the music and more than recompensed if she ever mixed me up with anything she liked as well as she liked that the new pupil was clearly very much amazed by mr pinch's weakness and would probably have told him so and given him some good advice but for their opportune arrival at mr pecksniff's door the front door this time on account of the occasion being one of ceremony and rejoicing 
the same man was waiting for the horse who had been adjured by mr pinch in the morning not to yield to his rabid desire to start and after delivering the animal into his charge and beseeching mr chuzzlewit in a whisper never to reveal a syllable of what he had just told him in the fullness of his heart tom led the pupil in for instant presentation mr pecksniff had clearly not expected them for hours to come for he was surrounded by open books and was glancing from volume to volume with a black lead pencil in his mouth and a pair of compasses in his hand and a vast number of mathematical diagrams of such extraordinary shapes that they looked like designs for fireworks neither had miss charity expected them for she was busied with a capacious wicker basket before her in making impracticable nightcaps for the poor neither had miss mercy expected them for she was sitting upon her stool tying on the oh good gracious the petticoat of a large doll that she was dressing for a neighbour's child really quite a grown-up doll which made it more confusing and had its little bonnet dangling by the ribbon from one of her fair curls to which she had fastened lest it should be lost or sat upon it would be difficult if not impossible to conceive a family so thoroughly taken by surprise as the pecksniffs were on this occasion bless my life said mr pecksniff looking up and gradually exchanging his abstracted face for one of joyful recognition here already martin my dear boy i am delighted to welcome you to my poor house with this kind of greeting mr pecksniff fairly took him to his arms and patted him several times upon the back with his right hand the while as if to express that his feelings during the embrace were too much for utterance but here he said recovering are my daughters martin my two only children whom if you ever saw them you have not beheld ah these sad family divisions since you were infants together nay my dears why blush at being detected in your everyday pursuits we had prepared to give you the reception of a visitor martin in our little room of state said mr pecksniff smiling but i like this better i like this better o oh, blessed star of innocence wherever you may be how did you glitter in your home of ether when the two miss pecksniffs put forth each her lily hand and gave the same with mantling cheeks to martin how did you twinkle as if fluttering with sympathy when mercy reminded of the bonnet in her hair hid her face and turned her head aside the while while her gentle sister plucked it out and smote her with her sister's soft reproof upon her buxom shoulder and how said mr pecksniff turning round after the contemplation of these passages and taking mr pinch in a friendly manner by the elbow how has our friend used you martin very well indeed sir we're on the best terms i assure you old tom pinch said mr pecksniff looking on him with affectionate sadness ah it seems but yesterday that thomas was a boy fresh from a scholastic course yet years have passed i think since thomas pinch and i first walked the world together mr pinch could say nothing he was too much moved but he pressed his master's hand and tried to thank him and thomas pinch and i said mr pecksniff in a deeper voice will walk it yet in mutual faithfulness and friendship and if it comes to pass that either of us be run over in any of those busy crossings which divide the streets of life the other will convey him to the hospital in hope and sit beside his bed in bounty well 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 he added in a happier tone as he shook mr pinch's elbow hard no more of this martin my dear friend that you may be at home within these walls 
let me show you how we live and where come with that he took up a lighted candle and attended by his young relative prepared to leave the room at the door he stopped you'll bear us company tom pinch ay cheerfully though it had been to death would tom have followed him glad to lay down his life for such a man this said mr pecksniff opening the door of an opposite parlour is the little room of state i mentioned to you my girls have pride in it martin this opening another door is the little chamber in which my works slight things at best have been concocted portrait of myself by spiller bust by spoker the latter is considered a good likeness i seem to recognize something about the left-hand corner of the nose myself martin thought it was very like but scarcely intellectual enough mr pecksniff observed that the same fault had been found with it before it was remarkable it should have struck his young relation too he was glad to see he had an eye for art various books you observe said mr pecksniff waving his hand towards the wall connected with our pursuit i have scribbled myself but have not yet published be careful how you come upstairs this opening another door is my chamber i read here when the family suppose i have retired to rest sometimes i injure my health rather more than i can quite justify to myself by doing so but art is long and time is short every facility you see for jotting down crude notions even here these latter words were explained by his pointing to a small round table on which there was a lamp diverse sheets of paper a piece of india rubber and a case of instruments all put ready in case of an architectural idea should come into mr pecksniff's head in the night in which event he would instantly leap out of bed and fix it for ever mr pecksniff opened another door on the same floor and shut it again all at once as if it were a blue chamber but before he had well done so he looked smilingly round and said why not martin couldn't say why not because he didn't know anything at all about it so mr pecksniff answered himself by throwing open the door and saying my daughter's room a poor first floor to us but a bower to them very neat very airy plants you observe hyacinths books again birds these birds by the by comprised in all one staggering old sparrow without a tail which had been borrowed expressly from the kitchen such trifles as girls love are here nothing more those who seek heartless splendour would seek it here in vain with that he led them to the floor above this said mr pecksniff throwing wide the door of the memorable two-pair front is a room where some talent has been developed i believe this is a room in which an idea for a steeple occurred to me that i may one day give to the world we work here my dear martin some architects have been bred in this room a few i think mr pinch tom fully assented and what is more fully believed it you see said mr pecksniff passing the candle rapidly from roll to roll of paper some traces of our doings here salisbury cathedral from the north from the south from the east from the west from the south-east from the nor-west a bridge an almshouse a jail a church a powder magazine a wine cellar a portico a summer-house an ice-house plans elevations sections of every kind of thing and this he added having by this time reached another large chamber on the same story with four little beds in it this is your room of which mr pinch here is the quiet sharer a southern aspect a charming prospect mr pinch's little library you perceive everything agreeable and appropriate 
if there is any additional comfort you would desire to have here at any time pray mention it even to strangers far less to you my dear martin there is no restriction on that point it was undoubtedly true and may be stated in corroboration of mr pecksniff that any pupil had the most liberal permission to mention anything in this way that suggested itself to his fancy some young gentleman had gone on mentioning the very same thing for five years without ever being stopped the domestic assistants said mr pecksniff sleep above and that is all after which and listening complacently as he went to the econominiums passed by his young friend on the arrangements generally he led his way to the parlour again here a great change had taken place for festive preparations on a rather extensive scale were already completed and the two miss pecksniffs were awaiting their return with hospitable looks there were two bottles of currant wine white and red a dish of sandwiches very long and slim another of apples another of captain's biscuits which are always a moist and jovial sort of viand a plate of oranges cut up small and gritty with powdered sugar and a highly geological home-made cake the magnitude of these preparations quite took away tom pinch's breath for though the new pupils were usually let down softly as one may say particularly in the wine department which had so many stages of declension that sometimes a young gentleman was a whole fortnight in getting to the pump still this was a banquet a sort of lord mayor's feast in private life something to think of and hold on by afterwards to this entertainment which apart from its own intrinsic merits had the additional choice quality that it was in strict keeping with the night being both light and cool mr pecksniff besought the company to do full justice martin he said will seat himself between you two my dears and mr pinch will come by me let us drink to our new inmate and may we be happy together martin my dear friend my love to you mr pinch if you spare the bottle we shall quarrel and trying in his regard for the feelings of the rest to look as if the wine were not acid and didn't make him wink mr pecksniff did honour to his own toast this he said in allusion to the party not the wine is a mingling that repays one for much disappointment and vexation let us be merry here he took a captain's biscuit it is a poor heart that never rejoices and our hearts are not poor no with such stimulants to merriment did he beguile the time and do the honours of the table while mr pinch perhaps to assure himself that what he saw and heard was holiday reality and not a charming dream ate of everything and in particular disposed of the slim sandwiches to a surprising extent nor was he stinted in his draughts of wine but on the contrary remembering mr pecksniff's speech attacked the bottle with such vigour that every time he filled his glass anew miss charity despite her amiable resolves could not repress a fixed and stony glare as if her eyes had rested on a ghost mr pecksniff also became thoughtful at those moments not to say dejected but as he knew the vintage it is very likely he may have been speculating on the probable condition of mr pinch upon the morrow and discussing within himself the best remedies for colic martin and the young ladies were excellent friends already and compared recollections of their childish days to their mutual liveliness and entertainment miss mercy laughed immensely at everything that was said and sometimes after glancing at the happy face of mr pinch was seized with such fits of mirth as brought her to the very confines of hysterics but for these bursts of gaiety her sister in her better sense reproved her observing 
in an angry whisper that it was far from being a theme for jest and that she had no patience with the creature though it generally ended with her laughing too but much more moderately and saying that indeed it was a little too ridiculous and intolerable to be serious about at length it became high time to remember the first clause of that great discovery made by the ancient philosopher for securing health riches and wisdom the infallibility of which has been for generations verified by the enormous fortunes constantly amassed by chimney-sweepers and other persons who get up early and go to bed betimes the young ladies accordingly rose and having taken leave of mr chuzzlewit with much sweetness and of their father with much duty and of mr pinch with much condescension retired to their bower mr pecksniff insisted on accompanying his young friend upstairs for personal superintendence of his comforts and taking him by the arm conducted him once more to his bedroom followed by mr pinch who bore the light mr pinch said pecksniff seating himself with folded arms on one of the spare beds i don't see any snuffers in that candlestick will you oblige me by going down and asking for a pair mr pinch only too happy to be useful went off directly you will excuse thomas pinch's want of polish martin said mr pecksniff with a smile of patronage and pity as soon as he had left the room he means well he's a very good fellow sir oh yes said mr pecksniff yes thomas pinch means well he is very grateful i have never regretted having befriended thomas pinch i should think you never would sir no said mr pecksniff no i hope not poor fellow he is always disposed to do his best but he is not gifted you will make him useful to you martin if you please if thomas has a fault it is that he is sometimes a little too apt to forget his position but that is soon checked worthy soul you will find him easy to manage good night good night sir by this time mr pinch had returned with the snuffers and a good night to you mr pinch said pecksniff and sound sleep to you both bless you bless you invoking this benediction on the heads of his young friends with great fervour he withdrew to his own room while they being tired soon fell asleep if martin dreamed at all some clue to the matter of his visions may possibly be gathered from the after pages of this history those of thomas pinch were all of holidays church organs and seraphic pecksniffs it was some time before mr pecksniff dreamed at all or even sought his pillow as he sat for full two hours before the fire in his own chamber looking at the coals and thinking deeply but he too slept and dreamed at last thus in the quiet hours of the night one house shuts in as many incoherent and incongruous fancies as a madman's head End of chapter five